Well, guys, I hope you've been able to see the sermons because this is a, you know, we, we keep going through a book. Uh, I know a lot, of, uh, a lot of churches don't do that. Um, there are some folks that do more kind of pop psychology stuff with a few verses stuck in there. Um, that's never, never, never what we're going to do. Um, because one, I'm not smart enough to give you anything that's going to change your life out of my head. So we're going to read the scripture. We're going to see what the scripture says, what it means, and then how that applies to our life. And so we've been in a series in Daniel. And like I say, I hope that you've been able to see it because one thing kind of builds on the next thing. Today, we're going to be in chapter five, and we're going to look at the handwriting on the wall. Now, uh, you know, we, as a culture, used to be biblically literate enough that the handwriting on the wall, that phrase, has come into our vocabulary. Uh, so we're going to see why exactly today that is a saying. Now, in Daniel chapter 5, we see another exceedingly prideful ruler of Babylon. I mean, this guy was an egomaniac, just like his predecessor, Nebuchadnezzar, that we've been studying This story, though, has a very different ending from Nebuchadnezzar's. Now, God showed amazing patience with Nebuchadnezzar. Um, He he showed him over and over that he was the true and living God. You know, the first thing was he had a dream, and it was a dream of a big statue that had different materials in it, and he didn't know what that was. But he didn't want to go to his interpreters and say, hey, guys, let me tell you about this, and then be be able to make up something to go along with what his dream was. So he said, instead, you tell me the dream, and then tell me the interpretation. Now, I don't know if you've ever tried to figure out what somebody else has dreamed before, but that's not easy to do. So they said, we can't do that. Nobody can do that. Only the gods can do that. And uh, so he, being the uh, tempered guy that he was, he said, well, I'll tell you what, if you don't do what I'm asking, I'm going to rip all of you limb from limb and destroy your houses. So Daniel, um, he was an amazing man of faith. And you know what faith breeds? Faith breeds courage. And so Daniel went and made an appointment with Nebuchadnezzar. And he said, look, I'll tell you the dream and I'll tell you the interpretation. Now, did he know the dream? Nope. Did he know the interpretation? Nope. But he knew that when he jumped off that cliff, God was going to catch him. So he went home and he prayed and he said, God, would you help me out? I want to save my life. I want to save my friend's life. I want to save the lives of all these counselors. And uh, so please tell me the dream and the interpretation. And God did. And then he went to Nebuchadnezzar and he explained all it. So Nebuchadnezzar saw the presence of the living God through Daniel then. And the next thing was, he built, <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar built a monument to himself and his greatness and his ego. And he said, everybody, bow down when you hear the, the orchestra play. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, nah, we, don't, we don't bow down to anybody but God. And so he gets them and says, all right, I'll give you one more chance. And they say, well, we don't need another chance because we're not going to do it. God can't deliver us from the fiery furnace. But if he doesn't, we're still not going to bow down. So he chunks them in the fiery furnace. They walk around with, I think, a, a pre-incarnate uh, Jesus in there with them, protecting them. And then he gets them out. They don't even smell like fire. They don't even smell like smoke. And he says, wow, that's an amazing God that can deliver you from the fiery furnace. So again, he sees this same God showing him his presence. Well, then he has another dream. And uh, in Babylon, what they do is they have a dream. 
And then they ask everybody that doesn't know the answer, and then they finally call Daniel. <laughs> okay. So they did that again, <clears throat> and Daniel comes and says, okay, I can tell you what the dream is. The dream is God's calling you to repent, and if you don't repent, judgment is coming. Well, he didn't repent. And then God gave him a whole year in which to repent. This is sort of a summary, because I don't know if y'all have been watching, but <laughs> I'll get to this message in a minute. And so he didn't repent, and so he was driven out, lost his mind, was acting like a wild animal. And then finally God humbled him to the point that I think he became a true believer and a follower of, of God. Well, this king that we're going to read about now, Belshazzar, and that sounds like Belteshazzar, which is the name given to Daniel, but it's, it's not the same. So after that humbling, he finally repented. But this guy that we're going to study today, Belshazzar, knew about this and still didn't humble himself. Now, why did God give Nebuchadnezzar such amazing grace, so many opportunities? Was it because he was a great guy? No, he demanded that the interpreters tell him his dream, and when they couldn't do it, he said, well, we're going to tear you limb from limb. He's not a nice guy. And then he made, it, he made that statue that we talked about to himself, to his own ego. I mean, this guy was an egomaniac, and he was also an idolater. You know, people... Uh, when I fill out a form for New Orleans uh, Baptist Theological Seminary, it says, what is the condition of the spirit, what is the spiritual condition of the person you spoke to? And seeker is on there. I never put seeker because I don't know what that is. Uh, the Bible says no one seeks after God, so I've never put seeker on there. But I tell you, Nebuchadnezzar was not a seeker. He was an idolater, and his, his primary idol was himself. But God gave him... He extended him massive patience, grace, and finally gave him repentance. But God gave Belshazzar judgment. Now, why? That's something we need to look at chapter 4 and chapter 5 together and say, why did Nebuchadnezzar get treated completely differently than Belshazzar? Can God treat people differently? Yep, he can. <laughs> is that fair? Well, that is a good question. And it's a question that the Apostle Paul raises in Romans 9. In Romans 9, starting in verse 10, uh, it says, When Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had done nothing either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, The older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? And so, Paul is a masterful arguer. He goes, well, what's the deal with this? Is there injustice on God's part? And that's the question we just asked, right? We said, if Nebuchadnezzar was treated one way and Belshazzar was treated a different way, is there injustice on God's part? Well, the vehement answer that Paul gives is by no means. For he says to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now some people get it in their heads that God is going to be infinitely patient with them. I want very much for this sermon and this scripture to convince you that is not the case. I pray that God will use this um, as a warning shot across the bow for us to make us realize that there is a day of judgment and we don't know if it's tomorrow or if it's 30 years from now. In Nebuchadnezzar's case, God was endlessly patient with him. 
In Belshazzar's, we will see that that patience ran out. Many times we hear about this rather pitiful Jesus. He's needy and he really wants your love. And uh, if you'll love him back enough to say a prayer, maybe get baptized, maybe even occasionally come to church, uh, he's good with that. You know, he'll, he'll give you a golden ticket to heaven. He's just wringing his hands, waiting on you to come accept him. That is a distortion, a gross distortion of the gospel. If you're presuming on the patience and long-suffering of God, then let this sermon be a warning to you. And for those of us who are in here and are believers, let it be an encouragement to you to tell somebody else, okay? Because we don't know how long they have. We don't know how long God is going to continue to extend that, that opportunity and that grace to them. Belshazzar was feasting and partying and reveling on the edge of his grave, and he didn't know it. Read with me, starting in Daniel 5. The first thing I want us to see is that God sees our sins, all of them, all the time. Now, we feel like sometimes we get away with stuff. We don't ever get away with anything because God sees our sin. Chapter 5, verse 1, King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, and that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink. Now, um, the Bible is not incorrect in any way ever, but... Speaking this way, he calls Belshazzar's father Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar was not actually his father. It was, uh, this might should be translated forerunner, predecessor, uh, forefather maybe. Uh, some people theorize that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was genetically Belshazzar's grandfather through a daughter. So anyway, he doesn't mean his dad, but he means his predecessor. His father's name was uh, Nabonid or Nabonidus, depending on, on what you read. Verse 3, Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. So do not make the mistake of thinking that you're getting away with something because God is not punishing you right now. Uh, just a few days ago was the anniversary of Hitler's death. Hitler, man, did he have a lot to pay for. He was never brought to human justice because he committed suicide in the arms of his lover. That's not fair, is it? <laughs> well, God will make that right because you don't get away with sin, even if you get away with it in the short term. Now, for the Christian, for the real Christian... Romans 8.1 tells us, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So when we don't get away with sin, here's what that looks like. That is like a father who loves his children, correcting them, getting, back, getting them back on the right track. Okay, If my children do something stupid or are heading toward doing something stupid, I love them and I want to correct them and get them back on track. So for the real Christian, that's what God does. He doesn't... Uh, condemn us rather he corrects us so that we can get back on track but for the lost person <clears throat> Romans 2 5 says but because of your hard and impenitent heart 
you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. So for the believer, there's no condemnation. For the unbeliever, there will be justice. It may not be today, it may not be tomorrow, and it may not be five years from now, but eventually every sin that God has seen will be dealt with. Now, I keep saying real Christian. Uh, I hope you know what I mean there. There are, I've told you this before, if my wife and I had, had met up at the church um, back in 93, right? 93, and gotten and had a ceremony, but then we didn't see each other after that. Uh, maybe legally that would be a marriage, but who cares? In reality, that wouldn't be a marriage, right? We need to be with each other. We need to have a relationship. We wouldn't have fruit of our marriage, our children, if we didn't have a relationship. So guys, there are a lot of people, a lot of people here in the South that come, walk up to the front, say a prayer, get baptized, but they don't have any ongoing, genuine, real relationship with God. And those folks aren't believers. Guys, I don't care what else is going on. If you're not plugged into the power source, if you're not in Christ, you're not a believer, regardless of what prayer you prayed, okay? So, a believer is in church, and, and is in communion with people, and is in communion with God, most importantly. Now, I know people are going to say, look, you don't have to be in church to be a believer. That might be true. You don't have to be able to fly to be an eagle, but if you are an eagle and you can't fly, it's because you're injured or because you have some disease or deformity and you're about to starve to death, okay? It's not the natural thing. <laughs> and so it's not the natural thing for a believer not to be plugged into the body of Christ. So those folks that we do share this message with, guys, if they tell you, and I, I, I've done this. Um, I remember this one guy in, uh, in Horn Lake. I was out talking to him and I said... Uh, you know, if you died today, would you go to heaven? He goes, absolutely. And I said, that's great. Uh, tell me about your relationship with the Lord. He said, well, when I was 12, I went to church and we had a big revival. And I came down to the front and uh, I talked to the preacher and I got baptized. I said, that's great. Tell me about your relationship with God right now. Oh, well, um, I don't know. I, I got that taken care of. I hadn't been back to church in 40 years. That's not a believer, guys. That's a guy that went through a farce of a ceremony, kind of like we had pretended to get married, but don't really have a relationship. So we got a lot of those folks, a lot of them as our friends and neighbors and coworkers. So you can rest assured, though, and they can too, and this is the news they got to hear, that based on God's integrity, every single sin will be paid for one way or the other. It will either be paid for by the lost man in hell, or it will be paid for by Christ on the cross. So to recap, God sees your sin. Our next point is, we should fear God's judgment. Now, Belshazzar did a lot of things wrong, but he got this right. He was scared to death. Verse 5 says, Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace, opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed, and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way, and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. 
Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed, and his color changed, and his lords were perplexed. So this guy was a pagan, and he was going to die a pagan, but he feared the judgment. If there's one thing I could change about the American church, I'm not sure what it'd be, but I'm pretty sure it might be that we would recapture our fear of God. Now, I'm not talking about a dread. I'm talking about the kind that a healthy relationship has between a father and his children. Um, You know, my kids wouldn't have been scared to come to me when they were little and say, can I have some juice? They weren't like, well, maybe dad's going to whack me or scream at me. No, they, they weren't scared of me in that kind of way. But if I was on a phone call and had told them repeatedly, you don't interrupt me when I'm on a phone call, and then they came in demanding juice, they would be a little scared of that, right? Because they know that they would be reprimanded, that they'd be punished. So that's what I'm talking about. Not a dread of God where we shrink away from him, but just a, a reverence for God. Now, that may be a strange notion to some folks. I don't think it is to people in here, but we got a lot of churchgoers that just think about God's love and don't think about his holiness. I don't know if it's okay to prioritize characteristics within God uh, because the Bible says God is love. But the Bible also says that God is holy, holy, holy. That's not just a song we sing. That is in the scriptures. Uh, the, the angels are chanting that back and forth to God. He is holy, and that holiness demands that he punishes sin. So we need to have a fear of God, meaning an extreme reverence. You know, if we had that, we wouldn't look like the world looks. For example, um, the divorce rate in the church is no different than the divorce rate out of the church. Now look, if you've been divorced, I don't know your personal situation, and I'm not... I'm not judging that at all. But as a whole, if we feared God, the divorce rate in the church would be different, markedly different than the divorce rate outside the church. Um, And you, you know, you may be thinking, well, I did have a divorce and it was my fault. Okay, people sin. I understand that. Christians sin. Uh, You know, David was was a world-class big-time sinner, but he was a world-class big-time repenter too, right? And that's what believers do. So we don't look different, though, and that's why we have a hard time getting people in here. If we don't entertain them enough, then we can't get them in, because what what really is the difference if we look just like they do and we have the same problems they do? The church should be known for our love, chiefly our love for one another. If you ask people what they think about church folks, and this was a survey that was done not too long ago, number one is judgmental. I don't think that's true. I don't think it's true here. But number one should be that they love people. We need to be known by our faith. Our faith that's so bold that it is courageous. Guys, we don't need to be scared of things. I'm not talking about viruses. We do need to be scared of viruses. We don't need to get sick. But we don't need to be scared to step out like Daniel did. Look, Daniel didn't even know what this guy's dream was, and he volunteered to go interpret it for him back in chapter 1, okay? He's bold because he has faith in a big God. Guys, we need courage. We need evangelism, courageous evangelism. That's what I want us to be known for. So may we here at this church fear and revere God so much that it actually impacts the way we live, and we can have that testimony before our neighbors. Now, for those who have not come to God in repentance and faith, fear God's judgment. 
Luke 3, 7 says, and this is uh, John the Baptist. He says, he said, therefore, to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, and he's a plain-spoken fellow, he says, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So there is a wrath to come, and they need to flee. John wasn't saying, hey, don't worry about it. He was saying, who warned you to flee from the wrath that is to come? Now, fear may not be the best motivator for obedience to God, but it's okay. (laughs) You know, when my children were really little, Fear was their primary motivation. They didn't want to be spanked. They didn't want to be fussed at. But now I have kids in college. Why do they listen to me? Am I going to spank them? No. They listen to me now because they respect me and they want to please me and that kind of thing. So guys, a mature believer isn't going to sit around going, whoa, God's going to smack me. A mature believer is saying, I don't want to disappoint God. I don't want to do anything that is uh, going to get in interfere with my relationship with him i want to obey him perfectly because i love him and i respect him our next thing is that i want to see here is that when god weighs you in his balances if you're not a believer you will absolutely be found wanting now a balance like this uh, you guys probably know but the only time you know, this is, this is an old thing. We don't see a balance like this anymore. But Lady Justice, you'll see, has a balance. There's a stick here and something that looks like a seesaw. And there's a bowl here and a bowl here. And if you put something heavy here and something light here, it doesn't balance, right? And this is, is wanting in the words of Scripture. So, that is what a balance looks like that we're talking about. Verse 10, the queen and... You're like, hang on a second. Belshazzar's queens and concubines were partying with him, right? This is probably the queen mother. This is probably his mother. He and his father were co-regents at this time. His dad was off fighting wars and conquering things, and he was hanging around the city having a party. And so this is probably his mother. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever, because that's the polite thing you say to the king. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So again, when all else fails and nobody else knows, call Daniel. Verse 13, then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, you are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you. And that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple, have a chain of gold around your neck, and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom." Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing to the king and make known the interpretation. All right. So Daniel says politely, you can keep your stuff, but I'll tell you what the writing is. Daniel is not going to give the king a positive reading, a 
a, a good interpretation that is, makes the king happy. Instead, he's going to tell him exactly what God says to tell him. Verse, 9, verse 18. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened, so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all of this. All right? So it's not, let's not get the idea that Belshazzar had no opportunity. He knew what had happened to Nebuchadnezzar, and still he would not humble his heart. <clears throat> Verse 23, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven and the vessels of his house have been brought in before you and you and your lords, your wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them and you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood and stone, which did not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath. I love that. The God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Many, many, tekel, and parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Many, God, has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Um, it's interesting that in no translation ever has this mene, mene, tekel, parson been actually translated. It's transliterated into letters that we can read rather than um, Arabic, but it is, it's not translated. The, the, the meaning isn't given. Uh, that is because people that were translating this throughout the years have said, God's own hand wrote this. It is too holy for me to translate. Um, the Jews have an amazing reverence for scripture. Now, when I was a kid, I kind of thought about this balance thing and maybe that salvation worked that way. Uh, I think mostly I got my theology from the Bugs Bunny and Roadrunner show. Uh, when a good guy would get blown up or whatever happened to those poor guys, uh, he, would, he would get angel wings and go up, right? And when some dastardly fellow like, uh, you know, um, Elmer Fudd would get, get blown up or, or Wiley Coyote would get a big rock falling on him, he would go down and have pitchfork and horns, right? And I thought, okay, I get it. If you're good, if, if you're more good, we got our balance here. If your good outweighs your bad, you go to heaven. All right. That is the wrong idea. That is the wrong balance. Most people, though, most people that you live around and work with and, and know have that same thought. They say, if I do more good stuff than bad stuff, I'll get to heaven. Now, really, though, God's scale, one side is perfection. This side is perfection. All right? Now, what's in this side makes a lot of difference. If it's my life, my, you know, attempts at righteousness, my sin, 
God's perfection, boom, I'm going to be found wanting. I'm going to be on the short end of the stick. The only way that this can balance for me is we have God's perfect demand right here. And by the way, it's okay for God to demand perfection. He's the one that made us. He has every right to do it. So God's perfection is here. If I want the scale to balance and me be okay, the only thing that I can put here is the righteousness of Christ imputed to me by grace. My works, I'll be found wanting every time. Christ's righteousness for me, and we got a balanced scale. I want us to see that unrepentance leads to judgment. Verse 29 says, Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple and a chain of gold put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, was, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. So poor Daniel, man. He was, he was elevated to like secretary of state for a few hours until the king was killed. Now we're going to see in chapter 6 that the next administration valued Daniel as well. But I said at the beginning, I hope this sermon would cause people who are presuming on God's patience to stop doing that, to sober up and realize that they may too be feasting on the edge of their grave and not know it. We aren't promised tomorrow, guys. Verse 23 says... But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored. Your, your next breath comes from God. If he chooses to withhold it, then you have judgment right then. Today is the day of repentance. Tomorrow may be the day of judgment. Now guys, if you're a believer here and you say, I already know this, I'm saved. Okay, take what I'm saying here and give let it motivate you. Let the truth of it motivate you to talk to your loved ones who are not believers, your neighbors, your co-workers who are not believers. Because I'm telling you, almost all the time in my experience, when I witness to people, they've got that scale too, but their scale is good works, bad works, I think I'm okay. They say, look, Hitler was a bad dude. I get it if he goes to hell, but I'm not like that. I'm a nice guy, I take care of my family, I pay my taxes, I'm a good neighbor, I'm okay. Well, they got the wrong scale in mind, and if we don't tell them, they won't know. Now, does God deal differently with different people? Yes. I mean, there's no avoiding, we have to see that. Is there injustice on God's part? Absolutely not. Let me remind you real quickly. Um, see, I got, we got five weeks worth of time. We can take that over. <laughs> okay. I'll remind you quickly. Um, no one receives injustice from God. You know, that's the, that's the question that Paul asked. He said, is there injustice on God's part in Romans nine? And the answer is no. Let me tell you why it's no. No one receives injustice. If you receive justice, what you have received is God's perfection in the scale here, your sinfulness here, you are found wanting. That is justice. Some of us, the ones of us who are truly in Christ, receive mercy. Because on God's scale, God's perfection is here. Christ's righteousness is here. We're good to go. Everything is balanced and perfect, right? Now, who receives injustice? Nobody. 
God doesn't weigh you in the scale and stick his finger on one side. (laughs) He doesn't show injustice to anybody. So that's why I'm saying we can't presume upon God's patience forever and ever. If you're not a believer, become one right now while you have the opportunity. If you are a believer, let us have a sense of urgency to tell those around us. Because, guys, we don't know what's coming. Nobody saw uh, 66,000 Americans dying from a virus we'd never heard of two months ago. Uh, we don't know what's around the corner. So we got to make hay while the sun shines, as they say, right? While we have an opportunity, we got to do everything we can to reach people. Let's pray.